Good morning, again, welcome, good to uh, worship with you all, and um, good to hear your voices, <clears throat> praising God in Advent, getting ready for Christmas. We're, uh, uh, we're looking at Genesis, first 11 chapters of Genesis, we're in Genesis 10 and 11 uh, today, so if you have a Bible you can open up, and we're going to be uh, looking at kind of a long passage there uh, today. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read Genesis 10. This is, an, this is another one of those long, I, I, where I tried to kind of group a lot of passages together, so I didn't spend a lot of weeks. So you're going to hear me uh, read, try to read a lot of names here. Um, and uh, so bear with me. This is, kind of, this is called the Table of Nations, Genesis 10. It's kind of a list of all the ancient na- nations in the ancient Near East. A lot of these places we have been excavated. These are real places uh, that really exists. So, um, so here, here we are as Noah's sons kind of populate, populate the earth. And um, this is the word of the Lord. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Teraz. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, uh, Riphthah and Tagarmah, the sons of Javan, Elisha, uh, Atarshish, Katim, and Dadanim. From these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, uh, Put, and Canaan, the sons of Cush, Sabah, Havilah, Sabtah, Reama, and Dadan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it says, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, uh, Akkad, uh, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. From, the, uh, from that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, uh, Anamim, Lehabim, uh, Naphutim, Pathrusim, uh, Kastlehim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and Amorites, and Ger- the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, the Hath. Uh, Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, uh, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lesha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Aber, the brother, uh, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Ar- Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Uh, Shalah, the uh, father, oh, sorry. Um, and Shalah fathered Aber. To Aber were born two sons. The, the name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, uh, Shelef. Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Ubal, Ibimel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. So, Jobab's an old ancient name, right? You, you thought that that was just a southern, you know, Oklahoma name or something. That's 
Joe Bob was back in this day too. All these, uh, all these were the uh, sons of Joktan. The territory in which they live extended from uh, Mesha in the direction of Safar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now, this is the part we're going to mainly be looking at uh, is the Tower of Babel story. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one, uh, one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you that this is your word, and we thank you that we can come confidently to, uh, to it, believing that you have something to challenge us with, uh, to convict us with, uh, to build us up with from this passage. And so we ask that you would do, it, do that, we, uh, that you would take um, this ancient text and bring it into our context here in uh, 2010 in Bellingham, in Christ Church Bellingham. And, uh, and would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you uh, work in us faith that, we'd, that we would be obedient and uh, that we would not leave here unchanged? And so we ask that uh, in the name of our Savior Jesus, and we ask that you'd send your spirit uh, to do that work. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, in, uh, in, 19, in 1944, when C.S. Lewis was a... Uh, professor at Oxford, he got asked uh, by uh, King's College in London to come give an, uh, a lecture to a bunch of young guys, students, and, uh, and so Lewis, you know, Lewis came to give this lecture, and he told them, you know, uh, okay, you've asked, you invited a middle-aged moral, moral, moralist to come and talk to you, so I'm going to do some middle-aged moralizing uh, to you young, young bucks and tell you about the world and how you should live, and uh, in, in this talk, uh, Lewis uh, the thing that he warned uh, these young people about was he said that in any organization in the world, any uh, uh, group of people, whether it's the military or business or school, there are always kind of unwritten uh, informal hierarchies and structures that exist within in the, uh, in the organization. So, you know, for example, when I was growing up, my dad always told me, he, he said, you know, in any, any office you work in, the leader in the office is uh, sometimes maybe the manager, but generally not. You know, the, the leader in the office could be the mailboy. You know, the person that people actually respect, the, people that, uh, the person that people actually listen to, the, people that, uh, the person that people actually want to be in with, is not necessarily the official leader. But um, there's kind of an unwritten um, uh, understanding of who really has the power, who really has the authority. And, 
And of course, uh, kind of this, you know, this informal allegiance, you know, high school is kind of the, the time when that's, we're most aware of that. You know, you have, there's this certain awareness that a certain group of people are the popular people. And, you know, who, were they elected that? Or did, who named them? That Was there a ceremony when they, uh, was there a, a formal nomination process? How did they get there? It was just kind of unwritten, yet everyone knows it. And there's uh, and, and one of the things is it's it's very uh, it's informal you know you can't it, 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 let's say you're new to a school you know you come out you come in school and you're kind of observing you say oh here's uh, that's that's clearly the in crowd you know so you're the new person you come in and say hey I've been watching I see you guys you guys are kind of the popular ones is that cool if I get it? could I be in on the group you, could you could you initiate me what are you doing you know they would just stare at you. Uh, you can't talk about the group. You can't talk to us about getting in the group. That, that, that's impossible. And so uh, no matter what the structure is in any organization, um, uh, there, there's really an un, unwritten uh, informal structure underneath. And that's what, what Lewis uh, warns them about. Uh, he calls this phenomenon the inner ring. And this is, uh, this is what he says about it. In all men's lives at certain periods... And in many men's lives at all periods, between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. And he goes on later to say, this desire is one of the great permanent mainsprings of human action. Unless you take measures to prevent it, this desire is going to be one of the chief motives of your life, trying to get in trying to get into the inner ring. And then he says that of all passions, uh, the passion for the inner ring is most skillful in making a man who is not yet very bad do very bad things. So he says that the desire, I want to be in, I want the security of being in the group, will cause us to do very bad things. And, I, and I, you know, I remember that when, I'm, when I was 15, when I was, uh, you know, dropping out of school, selling drugs, stealing clothes and food. A big part of that was I had my little crew that I, 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 this urge and desire to be in with them. And, uh, and I'll tell you that um, the fact is that this inner ring, this structure shows up everywhere. And uh, including in the church, the inner ring structure shows up. I mean, here we are, uh, we're a new church. Um, many of us, we come here and we say, one of the things we're really longing for is we want to feel that sense of in. We want to feel that sense of there's a group that I'm a part of, that I feel that warmth, I feel the acceptance, I feel that uh, um, I'm a part of this, I'm in. And let me tell you, I promise you that God wants that for you. He, want, he wants you to feel uh, that sense of family, that sense of warmth. He wants you to feel that here. And uh, And, you know, I know that to varying degrees, for those of you who come here, you, you're experiencing that. Some of you are feeling that more than others, and we want to cultivate that more. So actually, we're, we're planning to start some kind of home groups uh, in the new year that we're kind of planning right now to give more opportunity to, for us to have, to be a community, for us to feel, you know, a sense of in. Um, but what is the difference um, between what Lewis is talking about, about making an inner ring, uh, that sense of a closed kind of, click or community, and, uh, and what we're trying to do here, uh, what, we, what we're longing for. What's the difference? Well, I think that one of the things is that it's a very small step from saying, 
I, I'm longing for a community to saying, I'm longing for a community more than anything else. That's the number one thing that I want. That's the number one thing is that I want to be a part of, I want to be a part of, of, the, uh, of the group. And what happens, because um, uh, if you long for that sense of you know, allegiance, that sense of connection, then what happens is when you get it, when you say, finally, I do have an in-group, I do have friends, you're going to do anything to protect it. You don't want anyone coming in and challenging uh, our place in, in, in the group. Uh, my sense of connection, my, I don't want anyone challenging it, so we, we start to protect it. That's what happens in high school, right? People, they get in the popular group, and it's exclusive. There's walls. There, there's, how do I get in? There's, it's not an open community. And, uh, and I'll tell you, the same thing happens in churches. Um, people get to know each other, and then they say, I don't want new people. I don't want anyone messing up with what, messing with what we have here. And what's happening in Genesis, uh, in this story that we're just reading about, you know, uh, Noah comes off with his sons, off of the ark, the world's before them. God says, I want you to get out and fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply, go to all the ends of the earth and fill the earth with my glory and the knowledge of me. Go everywhere. And we read in Genesis 10, you know, that, that table of nations uh, is a very positive you know, it's kind of boring when I'm reading all these names. Like, why is he reading all that? Well, it's a very positive uh, view of what God's done. You know, Noah and his sons, they did it. They went out and they spread, uh, they filled the earth with all these nations and people. And, uh, and you say, it seems very positive until we come to, to chapter 11, which tells us how that happened. How did people get spread out? And we find out that it was a group of people who were not being faithful, not trying to do what God wanted. They were trying to huddle together. Look at what it says. Uh, in, we're going to be looking mostly in chapter 11. Look at what it says uh, in verse 4. They had told, God had told them to spread out, to, to scatter. And then in verse 4, they say this. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. They're huddling. And what they want more than anything is the uh, preservation of their community. More than they want the glory of God, more than they want the good of all people, they want the preservation of their community. Let's not be dispersed. Let's huddle around each other. So what I want to do is I want to look at two things in this passage. Is First of all, just kind of the psychology of huddling of uh, communities becoming closed and becoming uh, uh, closed around each other, the, the, the inner ring, the, uh, the clique, the, the ethnic group, wh- uh, whatever it is, the kind of superiority. And secondly, I want to look at the God who scatters us in his love. So the psychology of huddling and the God who scatters us in his love. And um, let me just say, I think that this is really essential for us to be the church, you know, as a church plan, as a young church, for us to be the church that God wants us to be. I think this is essential. So, uh, first, the psychology of huddling. Uh, The first thing we see about huddling in this passage is that huddling together is fundamentally self-serving. Look at, so we're in chapter 11. Uh, We're going to spend a bit of time on this verse 4. First, uh, they said, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower. Now, uh, the, the role of cities in the, in the biblical storyline is, is very important. You know, you, uh, you, re- you go to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, and God's kingdom is coming, and it's described as the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven uh, to earth, a city. 
And what that means is that the storyline of the Bible, the goal of the Bible, where the Bible is going, is an urban movement. That God is building uh, a city. And, uh, you know, in city, one of the things that it says that God is doing is that God is bringing people from all nations, all tongues, all languages, all ethnic groups together to, to worship him and give him praise. And so, you know, what do you have in a city? You go to a city and there's just a, a tremendous amount of diversity, you know, Little Italy, uh, Chinatown. Um, the nations come to city and there's all this kind of mosaic, this tapestry of diversity and cultural texture. And God loves all that. And in fact, what's interesting is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, sees the church as a kind of city. Um, you, know, you, know, you know, Paul uses that language as the church is a body, and you know, we're all members of the body, we're different parts. Well, what Paul's doing, he's actually borrowing some language from Plato and Aristotle, that uh, they had a whole view of, of um, the, the civic realm, the, the state, the city, uh, was the body politic. And all the, uh, all the citizens in a nation uh, played their different role in, in making a city and making a city healthy and thriving. And so the, a city was like a body. And so what, you know, what Paul says that we are uh, a body, what he's saying is, is essentially that we are a kind of an alternate countercultural city within the city that we're in, that we're living in. So, uh, you know, we're in Bellingham. We are like a city within, you know, we're a part of Bellingham, and yet we're a sub-city that's, that's building the city of God, the city of justice, the city of mercy, the city of the, the proclamation of the good news where the poor are cared for and uh, lives are transformed. We're a kind of a sub-little city. And so, uh, and so the fact that these people in Genesis 11 are uh, building a city is, is by no means a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that they're building a city. Um, but the problem is, uh, very subtly in verse 4, where it says, let us build ourselves a city and a tower. Or, you know, literally in Hebrew, it says, let us build for us a city and a tower. Uh, their city that they were building was not for the glory of God and for his kingdom. Uh, it was not to fill the earth with God's glory. It was for them. And... Um, let me just tell you that, um, you know, we're a part of a building project of the city of God. And, you know, what, what, is, this, what, is, our, what is this church for? You know, as, as you imagine, where, where is this church going? As, we, as you picture the next 10 years and you say, I want to be a part of this church, uh, what excites you about that? Is it, do you imagine it? We're going to be a family. I, uh, we know each other real well. This is a tight group of, of, of friends and people, and we know each other really well. Uh, God wants that. But uh, if, if that's all it is, um, then that means it's for us. That this is a church that's not for, for the glory of God. It's not for the good of Bellingham because we love Bellingham. We want to see Bellingham prosper. We want to see people's lives transformed. But it's for us. And, uh, and so what that means is that um, when we say we want community more, uh, more than anything... Uh, we'll take something like the church and, you know, something like a church plant, which is a good thing, right? Everything we're doing, we're worshiping, we're studying God's word, we're having community, we're loving each other. These are all good things. And we take it, it can be turned into something, uh, just like these city builders are building a city. Building a city is what God wants. And turn it into something counter to what God is doing. So the first quality of, of the huddling kind of psychology mentality is that it, it's self-serving. This is for us. It's not, it's not for the community. It's not for Bellingham. It's for us. 
But the second thing is that we're doing good things. And you see that the second quality is that huddling has kind of a religious veneer to it. Uh, look, look again what they're doing in verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. You have a group of people, they're in direct defiance against God, and yet they're building a tower, they're trying to get to heaven. They're, trying to, they're working their way to God. We want to go and be with God in heaven. We're building a tower to get, to get up there. And that, you know, actually this tower is probably, it's not like a tower like we think of in uh, Seattle or something. Like that. This is one of those, you know, ziggurats that they have kind of uh, South America or in the, in the ancient, uh, ancient Near East, and uh, they're, they're temples. These big structures that are built up high trying to get up closer to the gods. So this is a huge uh, religious project that they're doing. They're saying, we're trying to get close to God. We're trying to pursue the gods. And, uh, and this is kind of the epitome of a religious life. Is it has a veneer of we're doing good things. Um, we're pursuing God. And the fact is that some of us, actually, we've met religious people like that. Reading the Bible, going to church, uh, um, uh, studying hard, they, they got an answer for everything. And you just know, you can just feel that they don't care about anyone but themselves. They only care about uh, their religion kind of justifying themselves. This religion is for me, it's for my comfort, it's for my sense of security. It's not for the glory of God and for the good of all people. It's not that. And we've all, we've all met people like that. And this is a warning against us. Uh, or a warning for us um, that we don't become that. That's not what God has for us. And what you have in these people is a building project that's religious. Now, why would that happen? Why, why would there be a religious veneer? Well, how could it be self-serving? How does this happen? Well, I think that the last aspect of kind of this psychology of huddling is that religious people want to justify themselves. Okay, so it's self-serving. It has a religious veneer, and, it, and it's trying to justify themselves. Now, look again uh, at this verse. There's kind of a lot in this verse. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let's, let us make a name for ourselves. Um, you know, when Shannon and I started dating, you know, like a lot of people, you, you start listening to new music that you never listened to before, uh, because you start sharing CDs and stuff like that. One of the bands that Shannon introduced me to was the Indigo Girls. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any uh, lesbian bands in my collection yet, so she filled that void, uh, <laughs> filled that void for me. And I actually, I really like the Indigo Girls. They have, they have some really uh, profound uh, songs. And I want to. There's one song in particular called uh, "The Deconstruction of Love," and I'm going to read to you just a little passage from it. Um, We talked up all night and came to no conclusion. We started a fight that ended in silent confusion. And as we sat stuck, you could hear the trash truck making its way through the neighborhood, picking up the thrown out, different from house to house. We decided, uh, we get to decide what we think is no good. We're sculpted from youth. The chipping away makes me weary. And then this this is the part I want us to cue in on. And as for the truth, it seems like we just pick a theory, the one that justifies our daily lives and backs us with quiver and arrows to protect openings. Because when the warring begins, how quickly the wide open narrows into the smallness of our deconstruction of love. So uh, what the Indigo Girls seem to be saying and, uh, is that our pursuit of truth, our pursuit for a religion 
uh, is a defense. It's, it's, it's a, uh, a bow and arrow. Now, I obviously don't believe that that's all religious pursuit is a uh, way to justify ourselves. But there is, uh, there is a way to say, I, I want to know the Bible, I want to be involved in church, because it provides this sense of security, uh, a huddling, that, um, that I'm, uh, I'm somebody. This is a way, my whole religious pursuit is a way of, of self-justifying, of assuring me that I'm somebody. Look at the group that I'm in. We huddle around people that are just like us, that think just like us, that talk just like us, because they affirm who we are, and we have this sense of security. And, uh, and what you have in verse 4 is this wanting to be somebody. They're building a city. They don't want to be dispersed. It's a religious endeavor, and it's to make a name for themselves. Now, something that's interesting about the Bible is wanting to have kind of a great name is, not, uh, is actually not a bad thing. Uh, the very next chapter, uh, uh, Genesis 12, in the call of Abraham, God's going to say to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make a great nation of you, and I'm going to make your name great. God wants us to have a great name. God wants us to be somebody. He wants us uh, to, um, to be respected, be, you know, uh, someone that God can commend. But you see that subtle difference there? What's the difference? Is that for Abraham, God is going to make his name great. Um, for them, they're making their own name great. Their whole pursuit is, is self-justification. Everything I'm doing is to prove to myself that I'm someone. But for Abraham... God gives him a name. God makes, God makes his name great. And what does Abraham do? He does the exact opposite of what these guys, these ones are saying, I, wanna, I don't want to disperse. In Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, leave your, your country, leave your kindred, leave your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. And what does he does? He leaves. He says, I'm going to bless you. He has the ability to risk. He's going out. He's leaving the people that are just like him to go out and to do what God's called him to be. That's the vision that God has for the church, and uh, is that we, we are goers. We're building relationships with people that aren't like us. Um, and the fact is that God has, uh, God has scattered us. You know, you're all scattered. You're scattered in your neighborhoods. You're scattered in your work. You're scattered at the Y, and uh, God has put you there. That's him scatter, scattering, scattering us. And, and one of the things for us to see is the church is not just something that we do here. Uh, this isn't a Sunday thing that we do, but church, the life, um, obedience to Christ in all things, is what we're doing everywhere we are, in our family, uh, uh, at work, at the Y, wherever. Any people that we're talking to is an opportunity where God is scattering us. Scattering us. And, we, and God's desire for us to be like him is that we would embrace that and be a scattered people. And so, um, you know, the warning from, uh, for us is, um, is that our whole Christian life would be uh, uh, about that we have Christian friends, that we have a Christian community, that that's really what we want more than we want Jesus. More than what we want to be like Jesus, what we want is we want that community instead of him. And when we pursue him, uh, uh, that's when we're going to trans- transform. That, that's when we're uh, going to do things radically different. And so this... Um, this leads to our second point, that first, um, the psychology of huddling is self-serving, it's religious, uh, and it's self-justifying. But second, we see in this passage the God who scatters us in his love. Now, uh, you know, we're in Advent, uh, we're preparing 
for Christmas. And uh, there's, uh, some of you, this will be interesting to you, some of you, this you won't be, but uh, there's, in Hebrew literature, there's something called a chiasm, which is kind of a, a literary uh, structure. Um, you know, for when they tell stories orally, so it helps your ear to kind of follow along in a story. And a chi- there's a, this, this passage happens to be a chiasm, and the chiasm highlights certain lines for you if you follow the pattern of a chiasm. And the line that this passage, uh, that the chiasm highlights in this passage is in verse 5, where it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Um, this act of God is very central to what Christianity is all about. Um, you know, uh, most, uh, the thing that makes Christianity different than, you know, other spiritualities, other religions, is that spiritualities are ways of kind of working your way up. I mean, essentially what they're doing, building this tower. How am I going to get up to heaven? And I mean, honestly, you know, if you, ha- if you sit down and you have a talk with a Buddhist, at some point the spiritual ladder is going to, uh, you know, when you talk about, you know, why, how are some people more spiritual than others, the spiritual ladder picture, generally, is my uh, experience, comes out. That we're, um, we're doing morals, we're doing meditation, we're doing rituals that are helping us kind of get connected to God, get connected with spirituality. And, uh, but the Bible says that, that actually the relationship between God and a human is much more like the relationship between the sun and a piece of grass. You know, you know when you're in, uh, you're in middle school and you're learning about uh, organisms and stuff like that, and they tell you, oh, well, you know, the, the, grass, the piece of grass is growing up because it's trying to get closer to the sun so it can get more, uh, more sun. And you say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's growing up, trying to get closer. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then you're like, you know, you know, the sun is 93 million miles away. Uh, is that quarter inch uh, really make that big a difference? I mean, I know that grasses competing with each other trying to get the sunlight. But uh, is that really making a big difference? Who's really doing the work? Is the piece of grass getting to the sun or is the sun getting to the piece of grass? That whole gap is the sun is, is, is making all the all, making the whole uh, bridging the whole gap, making the whole uh, uh, journey to us. It's not the grass getting to the sun. It's not getting even close. And uh, the essence of Christianity is that God is pursuing us. And what you have here, you have this disobedient group of people. They're huddling together. We don't want to spread out. We don't care about God's mission for us. We want to justify ourselves. And God, the Lord, came down to them. And he saw their city. And he walked among them. And, um, and it says uh, that um, in verse 7, God says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so, uh, you know, this is the beginning of the kind of diversity of all the languages in the world. But, uh, but, and we kind of think of that as a judgment. You know, God's confusing everything, making everything uh, difficult. Uh, and, but what's God really doing? He's dispersing them. This is his grace. And he says, this is my plan for you, was to go out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scatter your languages so you do what I originally called you to do, to get out. And, uh, and the fact is uh, that when Jesus comes as a little baby, uh, as we're looking forward to Christmas, Jesus comes as a little baby, uh, you know, in a manger, poor, uh, um, in a specific time, in a little culture, in a village. Uh, what's happening? Well, Christians throughout history have said God is a community. There's one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And from all eternity... 
everything that you ever wanted from a community, every, anything you ever wanted from an, a relationship of transparency, of love, of generosity, of kindness, they had all of that from all eternity. God was that. He was a community of persons loving each other. And the heart of what the gospel is, is that Jesus didn't stay in that community. He didn't huddle in that community. He said, I need to go out. I need to leave it. I got to get to those people. And what we have, the whole gospel is about, is about Jesus coming and bridging the gap and coming and finding us. And why did he do that? Why did he become poor? It's for you. He wanted you. You were lost. You were alone. You had sin. You had a broken life. You had a broken family. He, say, he came and he said, I wanted to get you. I'm going to leave the comfort. I'm going to leave the warmth. I'm going to leave the relationship to come and find you. And it's when that grabs hold of us that that's really what our, our whole hope is about, is a God who's willing to be scattered, a God who doesn't huddle, but a God who wants to go out. And we say, that's how, that's how I was saved, that's how I was pursued, and God, I didn't deserve anything, and God came and found me, and that's what God wants us to do. He wants to go out, to open our homes, to begin to talk to people, talk to people at work you never talked to, ask them about their life, uh, you know, give someone a, a meal, a neighbor to talk to. I mean, all those small things of a way of reaching out is a way to say, Church, my spiritual life is not something that happens here, but it happens with the people that I'm interacting with and crossing paths with all throughout the week. And God wants to use those things. And really, we got to grab that. If we're, if we're not going to become a huddled church, self-serving, listen, I, I want to tell you, I, I want us to be a church that loves each other. I want us to be a church where we have deep and meaningful uh, community that you know one another. I want that. But that can't be everything. We got to want Jesus more. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your grace that you come down and uh, uh, that you do scatter us and that you are a God who is willing to be scattered for us. Um, would we just. Uh, grab hold of that in our hearts and would that transform us that you were willing to do that for us that we would uh, look out and open our eyes and see this city and would you make us as a church into a blessing that we would serve that we would preach the gospel that we would be an open community we would not be an inner ring we would not be a closed community but as people came in they would find love and openness that we are not protecting ourselves would you do that and uh, we need your grace we ask in Christ's name Amen.